Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you. Better Life Church. I love the name of this church, Better Life Church. You know, one of the things that I also love your pastor, by the way, and his wife, Leanne, all their family. Can you give it up for them? You got an awesome pastor. <laughs> pastor Daniel is a great leader and a great preacher. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little jealous because he's preached at my church, I don't know, a few times, but he hadn't been there in a while. But every now and then, someone will come up. And they'll say, remember what Pastor Daniel said in that sermon like 10 years ago? Like, you remember what he said 10 years ago? And they're like, yeah, it was profound. I'm thinking, they don't even remember what I said last week. I'm so jealous of him. Great, great leader. And um, so excited about what God did here last week here in Ashland and across uh, this whole area with uh, all those life change all of the people that showed up. It is just exciting to be here in the bluegrass state. I love it. And uh, they're great hosts. And so, um, hey, you know we're gonna do something a little different today. We're gonna talk about measuring things. All of us measure things on a, literally on a daily basis. We wake up in the morning, we get on a scale, we measure our weight. We get in our cars, we drive to work, we measure our speed. We, if I, if I, and we all know how to do it. You know how to measure. I know how to measure. If provided I have the correct device to measure, I can measure anything, right? If I said, hey, can you go get me a gallon of gas? If I gave you a gallon container, you could easily do that. If I said, hey, I'm baking a cake, which I don't know how to do, but if I said I'm baking a cake, and I, I said I, it calls for three cups of flour, provided you had something that could measure cups, you could easily do that. If I were to say, hey, I want to measure this table, all I'd have to do is have the right device, a tape measure, and I could measure it, and so could you. It's pretty easy, right? That's how it is with measuring. If you've got the right device, you can measure it. Now, what if I were to ask someone, a volunteer, to say, hey, would you come up here and measure your life? Could anybody do that? Most of us would have that deer in the headlights look, which you all have right now. Like, how do you measure life? What does that even mean? How do you measure a life? I mean, what do you do? But here's the thing that I've discovered, that there is a correct way to do it. Jesus talked about the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And unfortunately, most of us don't know the metric. We don't know how to measure. We don't know what that means. And so what we generally will do when we think about measuring our lives, what we'll do is we'll look around and we'll think to ourselves, well, there's somebody that I know in my life that has a pretty good life. They seem successful. They've got a big house. Um, they've got a nice car. They've got a big bank account with a lot of zeros on the end of it. Maybe that's how you measure life. And, and I'll try to emulate that. And that's their pursuit only to find out later that's really not what's going to bring them fulfillment and peace in their lives, but they're measuring incorrectly. Somebody else might say, well, if I had a better education or if I got some sort of fame or power or position, that would be the way to measure life because we look around and we see people who seem to be successful with those things. But unfortunately, none of those are right. There's an old adage that carpenters use. Anybody a carpenter in here? Nobody? Some, perhaps, I'm not a carpenter, but I know the adage, and you do too. Measure twice, cut once. You heard that before, right? Measure twice, cut once. And that simply means that if you're a carpenter or someone who is you know, kind of a DIY kind of person, if you go down a, to the Lowe's or the Home Depot and you get a two-by-four or a sheet of plywood, you better measure it twice and cut once because it's a one-and-done deal, right? You, you saw it, once you cut it, 
it's over, right? You don't get a do-over. It's just the way that it is. And with the cost of lumber, we can all appreciate that statement probably more so now than ever before. I think the lumber costs have come a little bit down now, but a year ago, uh, it was ridiculous. You couldn't afford to get that measurement wrong because like a two-by-four was, what, $200 in your firstborn child. I mean, it was really expensive. So we get at what they means, and, and basically that's what I think the Bible would teach all of us, that there are certain things when it comes especially to life that you've got to measure twice and cut once because you can't get it wrong. Today we're going to look at a parable of Jesus. Now, it's found in Luke chapter 12. Spoiler alert, this is my favorite parable because I relate to this guy all too well in the story. Um, it's a, it's a parable. A parable is just a way that Jesus would teach. He would use these illustrative stories that he would kind of make up to drive home a point so that the listeners would understand what he was trying to say. Now, some of them were difficult to understand, but this one is a really easy one to understand. And if you're like most of us in America, you know, we, we live in a great country, but sometimes because of that, it causes us to measure incorrectly. So the, the thing we're going to try to wrestle down today is how do we measure life? And in this parable, there is actually multiple um, points that Jesus is making. He talks about the danger of greed. He talks about the need for contentment and, and finding satisfaction in life. But he also tells us what really matters at the end of, a, of our lives and this is the whole idea of measuring tri twice and cutting once. So if you've got your Bibles, electronic device, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at this parable beginning in verse 13, and then we're going to break it down a little bit, and hopefully uh, we will all walk out of here thinking about life a little differently. So here's what it says. It says, then someone called to the crowd. And I want to, I'm going to say this before I read this, that this is really an interesting context that Jesus is giving this parable, because at this point of his ministry, Jesus has is, is gathered huge crowds. Like he is super popular. He's doing healings and miracles, and he's teaching with such authority that people are just, I mean, throngs of people around. And in fact, prior to this, there said there were so many people in the crowd that they were literally stepping on one another. It was like standing room only. They were crushing one another. And in the middle of that, there's this guy, this random guy with a random question. There's always that one guy in the crowd, you know what I'm talking about, that says the inappropriate thing at the inappropriate time. You ever met that person? You may be that person, right? Well, in this particular thing, Jesus is doing this great teaching, and there's this guy who's got a personal dispute with his brother about an, a, an estate. And for whatever reason, he thinks this is the proper time to ask Jesus this question about what to do with this estate. And so here's what it says. It says, beginning of verse 13, then someone called from the crowd. This is this, that guy. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story, a rich man and if you've got a Bible and you could do this, you might want to circle that word rich because that, we'll come back to that, but it's a really important part of this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. 
Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, again, this parable is one that I can relate to, and I know that probably a lot of us do, but there are some danger signs that we are measuring our lives incorrectly, and that's really what I want to talk to you about today, because this is a measure twice, cut once kind of deal. We all are given one life, and we've got to live it right, and at the end of the life, our lives, we're going to, we're going to stand face to face with God, and we, we've got to get this one right. And how you measure your life is imperative to your success, happiness, joy in life. You've got to get it right. So there are three danger signs that we're not doing it right. You're not measuring right, that you're using the wrong tool of measuring. You've got the wrong scoreboard. And there are a lot of people that are getting it wrong. So I don't want anybody to leave this place or watch it online. I want anybody to, to, to miss this. Because this is really important. So the first danger sign that maybe you're measuring your life incorrectly is that you are never satisfied. You are never satisfied. No matter what you have, no matter what you accomplish, there's this sense that you don't have contentment. You're just never satisfied. That's, I call that the Rolling Stone syndrome. Remember the Rolling Stones? I mean, the rock group? Some of you don't remember them. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. They're like 105 years old now. Okay, it's a long time ago. But these guys had a lot of songs. They were hit songs. One of their biggest hit songs was called uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. How many of you remember that song? I'm going to age some of us, right? I can't get no satisfaction. Because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I can't get no satisfaction. Well, people who fall into this trap that we're talking about today, this, this idea of measuring incorrectly is that they, 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 they are that way. They're just never satisfied with anything. Now, to be honest, we live in a country of excess, don't we? Like, we are blessed. We don't realize how blessed we are, but we're blessed. And because of that, that actually, that's positive in a lot of ways, but it's also kind of a, a blessing and a curse because we have so much that we don't even realize how blessed we are. Do you know um, that in, back in the day, there was a guy named John D. Rockefeller. He was the richest man uh, of his time. He was ultra wealthy, like just to give you an idea how, how wealthy he was, personally, this guy personally owned 90% of the entire gas and oil industry in America, like personally, 90%. His net worth was 1% of the entire U.S. economy. And one time a reporter came up to him and said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Kind of reminds you of the guy in the story that we're going to look at. We, do you know that the average five-year-old in America owns 250 toys? Think about that for a second. That's quite an inventory in five years, isn't it? 250 toys. And if they're like my kids, after five minutes, they're bored with the toys and they're playing with the box, right? We are, we are so blessed we don't realize it. I, get, I, I do this personal confession. I'll open up my refrigerator filled with food, like crammed in there. And I'll say to my wife, we don't have anything to eat around this house. 
That refrigerator is just one of several. We have a refrigerator in the kitchen, in our garage. We have two more refrigerators, and I have two chest freezers. And I'm complaining that I don't have anything to eat. Can you relate to that? I will open my closet that's filled with clothes, and I say to my wife, I don't have anything to wear. Only in America, right? Like, we have to dedicate entire rooms to store our clothes. It's not good enough to have a closet. We have to have a walk-in closet. Like, I've got to just be surrounded by my clothes, but I don't have anything to wear. It's just the way we are. And it's a sad commentary, isn't it? We're, we're so blessed that we, we have garages to store, supposedly our cars, but if you're like me, there's no room in there for cars. I got too much junk, right? I got so much stuff. And if, you, and if you don't even have enough room in your garage, you know what we do? We need to get a storage building. We are blessed. And in the story, the reason I said, hey, you wanna circle the fact that this guy was a rich man it's, 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 it's an important fact of the story. So let's go back to the story. In Luke 12, Jesus says, beware. All right, anytime in scripture, Jesus says, beware. You know what you should do? Beware. All right, all right, you should beware. Beware there is simply, a, I mean, we know what that means. Like if you're you know, by a commercial building and there's a big electrical box, and it's got stickers all over it, yellow and red stickers with skull and crossbones. It says a million volts, don't touch this or you will die on the spot. You're not gonna touch it, right? Beware. We know that. And Jesus says, beware. Now, what do we need to be beware of? Well, he goes on. Guard against every kind of greed. I didn't know there was more than one kind of greed, but apparently there is. Guard against it. You know why you gotta guard against it? Because it's subtle. It's subtle. Lack of contentment and greediness kind of just seeps in. We don't mean, nobody sets out to be greedy. And yet Jesus says, hey, guard against this. Beware. Because this, this is one of those deals where if you get this wrong, you're going you're to be sorry. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Now, let me tell you what greed is, right? We, we, I think we all know what it is, but the best definition, let me give you the best definition I've ever heard of greed. It's the desire to acquire gone haywire. The desire to acquire gone haywire. Now, there's nothing wrong with the desire to acquire. We should have drive and ambition, right? We should all seek to, to improve ourselves. But when it goes haywire, when it goes sideways, when we, when we start pursuing that accumulation of stuff and wealth, as our number one goal in life, that's where it goes, that's where greed comes in. And Jesus says, beware against this. Because greed has a way of just overtaking you. Because as I say, nobody intends to start out. We don't start out to say, I'm gonna be a greedy person. And yet it happens. Let me prove it to you. How many of you um, would like a new car or truck? I'm raising my hand. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm not. Some of you think, okay, he's gonna trap me here. I'm not gonna raise my hand, but... But we know we won, right? Is there anything wrong with your current vehicle, really? Like, I have a, I have a Dodge Ram truck. It's, it, it's, it does what a truck's supposed to do. Pretty much every time I started, it, it starts and gets me to point A to point B. I don't need a new vehicle, right? But I wouldn't mind having one. 
I love the smell of a new vehicle, don't you? Like you open the doors, it's just intoxicating, the beautiful smell of that new vehicle. I miss that. I don't have that. So I'd like a new one. But the fact is, there's nothing wrong with mine right now. And I would venture to say for most of us that that would be the case. And something has happened, though, because when I first got my truck, I thought to myself, man, this is unbelievable. What a fantastic vehicle. If I had that vehicle, I'd never want another one. But I've been driving it now for about seven or eight years. Now I'm looking at it and going, why am I stuck with this hunk of junk, right? I need a new vehicle. I used to, I used to, wouldn't, I was afraid to park it like near anybody else. I'd go way out in the parking lot. You know what I'm talking about? Like get away from anybody. I don't want anybody to ding my truck. Now I just find the closest spot. I'll, I'll squeeze in between anybody. I don't care. We change our opinion about this stuff. That's what greed does to us because we're not content. How about your cell phone? Let's talk about cell phones. Our cell phones are, I don't know, my cell phone, it's a smartphone. It's smarter than I am, I can tell you that. It's a smartphone. But you know what? Most of us would say, I'd like a new cell phone because this one is, doesn't have all the bells and whistles of the new one. But I'm old enough to remember the days before cell phone. Any more of, any more of us can remember this? All right, there was a day, some of you young people, let me give you a little lesson here. All right, there was a day that we didn't have cell phones. We actually, when you had a need to make a phone call, you had to go to this thing called a phone booth, all right, which was usually never convenient, and you had to have change on you, usually it was a quarter, and you pull your car over, and you get out there, and you do this, and then we got high tech, and we started pushing buttons. That was when we, okay, and now remember, some of you remember this. I thought to my, I heard there was this, this kind of this idea out there that one day there's going to be these phones that you can carry with you. And I was like, if they ever do that in my lifetime, that's going to be the greatest thing ever. You remember those days? Well, before they came out, you had the beepers, the pagers, which were a nuisance, but they were a little more high tech. So if somebody needed you, they could page you and they go beep, 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 beep. Okay, I got to go to the phone booth and I got to call that person. And then eventually these phones came out. They weren't cell phones. Originally they weren't cell phones. They were some other kind of technology. I don't know what it was, satellite phones, whatever. You remember those? I couldn't afford one. But I remember that when everybody started getting those things, I was like, I got to get one of those. And eventually I could afford one. I got one. But those were like this big. You remember this? It's like you, it was, you get a hernia carrying this thing, right? But you didn't care because you, you had a way to call without stopping at a phone booth. And then there was a flip phone. I mean, we, were, we had arrived when a flip phone came on the scene. Remember that day? It's like, I got to get a flip phone. Man, that's, that's high tech. And then the first iteration of the smartphone came out. It was like, forget the flip phone. I need a smartphone. And we got smartphones. And then they got smarter. Because the first ones weren't real smart, but now they're really smart. And now we're, I don't know, what is like, I, just, I have a Samsung, but... I know the iPhone, what's there, like iPhone 176 now? Something like that, I don't know. They're like, and a lot of us have to get that latest and the greatest because we need something shiny. We need that new thing. It's, it's some sort of clout we get with it. But here's what Jesus said, beware of every kind of greed. Guard against it. Now, in the story, let, let me continue because here's what he says. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. If you thought by accumulating stuff was the way you measure life, 
when you walked in this room, you weren't really thinking about it, but then you thought maybe that's how you did it. You can just cross that off your list, right? Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own. We know that one's not right, so cross it off the list. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told the story. A rich man, again, rich. This is important. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. <clears throat> the reason it's important to notice that he, this guy is rich is that this is a detail Jesus did not have to include in this story because he's making up a story. He could have said, a, a man, uh, a farmer had a great crop. He could have just said that. But he made a point to say a rich man, which indicates this guy was already doing pretty good for himself, right? He was already rich. This is an important part of this story. But he didn't realize he was rich. And so it says he, he's got this dilemma on his hand. He's into agricultural business. And as a farmer, apparently he's been successful in the past because he's rich. And he's, this year he's planted his crop like he always did. And he's a good businessman. He's a smart guy. He is looking out and, and thinking to himself, look, this year it's the bumper crop. Who knows why? Maybe it rained more. Maybe there's better sun, sunshine. Maybe the soil produced better. Whatever it is. He's looking out. The crop is growing. It's not ready to harvest yet, but it's coming. And he knows it's coming. And he realizes this is my bumper crop. This is what I've been waiting for all my life. And then he assesses the situation. He looks at his current capacity and he realizes his current barns and his storage buildings do not have enough room when that crop comes in. So he's got a good problem on his hand and he does what any good businessman would do. He starts making plans. I need to tear down these ones and build bigger ones because I don't want to squander this blessing, this, this crop that I'm going to get in. And if I don't have enough room for that, it's just going to spoil. So I need to make plans for this now, and I need to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. Now, if the parable ended there, it would be a different meaning for the parable. The parable would be at one that says, hey, there is, there, you need to learn how to plan for the future. Right? That's what it would have been. We'd all be talking about planning for the future. But that's not what the parable's about. It's not about that. It's just the detail in the story of something bigger. Jesus says, here's the deal. This rich man has this fertile farm that produces fine crops. And he says to himself, what should I do? I know I'll tear down these barns and build bigger ones. The story doesn't end there. It continues. But I want to make one more point before we, before we move on. And that is this. He was already rich. He didn't know he was rich. Can I just tell you this? Most of us would look around the room and say, I'm not rich. The fact of the matter is in America, we are a wealthy country. Our poorest among us are, are wealthy in the world's standards. And let's never forget that. So the first point, and I gotta move fast, is this, is the danger sign is you're never satisfied. The second danger sign that you're measuring your life incorrectly is that there's self-reliance. Self-reliance, in other words, when you come into a room, here's, you may not say this, but this is what you think. I'm the smartest guy in this room. I'm the smartest girl in this room. Now we look around and we, we just, we're just so confident in ourselves. It's like a, we're, we're just like this. Our heads are so big and, and we become self-reliant. Whenever we have a problem, we turn to our own wisdom, our own um, kind of 
thought processes, and we try to determine what to do from there. It's, it's a little dangerous, right? We, just, we never even consider God, and this is where the problem comes in. How many of you remember, I'm, I'm, since I'm going down memory lane, how many of you remember the show MacGyver? MacGyver was the guy, so most of you don't even know who MacGyver was. It was a guy that literally had this, he was so resourceful that this guy could make anything from anything. Like he could take a paper clip and, and, a, and, a, and a little bit of duct tape and build a nuclear bomb, okay? This is how some of us think we are. Like you just give me a little duct tape and I can fix anything. We never look at God. We're all self-reliance, all about me. Anything I've got, I can figure out. This is the guy in the story. This is where the story takes a turn. Here's what it says. He said to himself, what should I do? He's got this problem. What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll say to myself, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let me reread that, and I'm going to accentuate the personal pronouns and listen to this guy. He is totally about himself. He said to himself, he's got a problem. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you catch all those personal pronouns? It was all about him, wasn't it? This was the, this was the issue. He never, in that, as he's looking at his blessing of all of his crops, never once does he consider God. He never mentions God. He doesn't look at it and say, thank you, God, because he's a farmer. There's not an occupation that needs God more than a farmer than anything, right? He needs God to send the rain, God to send the sun, God to give the, uh, the, the fertile soil, God to give the increase. He needs it. Never considers God. Never considers the less fortunate. Never considers his church. Never considers his family. Never considers anyone but himself. If you are a person who is that self-reliant, it is a danger sign that you are measuring your life incorrectly and you cannot afford to do that because you gotta measure twice and cut once. Tells us in Deuteronomy, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's all about God. Which leads me to the third danger sign, and that is the most important one, is the third danger sign that you're measuring incorrectly is that Christ is not the number one focus of your life. Like if anything else sits on the throne of your life, if, if anything else has the most of your attention and affection, anything other than Jesus, then you are measuring your life incorrectly. It's that, it's, it's that important. The whole point of the good news of the gospel message of Jesus is that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And then three days later, he rose again, which we celebrated last week at Easter. And the tomb is empty today, right? And because of that, our, we have salvation, forgiveness, purpose, fulfillment, peace, the very thing that all these other things try to get us, that we think will bring us. And Jesus is the only one who can give that lasting peace. 
Many of you have tried all these other things. I've tried these other things, and I'm telling you, none of those things give fulfillment, only Jesus. And that's the whole point of this story. One day, it's not gonna matter. One day, it will not matter how much money you have, how many zeros you've got in that bank account. It won't matter how fancy your car is. It won't matter how big your house is. It won't matter what you achieve. It won't matter how many degrees you've got, how many letters you've got after your name. It won't matter how much fame you have. It won't matter what you accomplish. None of those things will matter. The only thing that will matter is your relationship with Jesus. That is it. That's it. We've all heard that you can't, you know, you came into this world with nothing and you're not taking anything out. We know, we know that. We've all heard the statement that we've never seen a hearse towing a U-Haul, right? You're not gonna take it with you. Although I did hear about a gr greedy guy that was actually greedier than the guy in the story, and this guy was determined to take it with him. Um, he was a wealthy guy, but very, very greedy. And um, he went to the doctor's office. The doctor said, I got bad news. You got terminal illness. You've only got three days to live. And the guy was like, he was upset, but he was like, I am not gonna leave my money for anybody else. I know they say you can't take it with you when you die. I'm taking it with me when I die. So he went to the bank, withdraws all his money, comes home, puts it in a suitcase. And he tells his wife, he said, I know they say you can't take it with you, but I'm taking it with me. I've worked too hard for this money. Nobody else is getting it. So he said, I'm gonna take the suitcase and I'm gonna put it in the attic. And when I die, as I'm heading to heaven, I'm grabbing the suitcase, I'm taking it with me. Sure enough, he dies that night. Wife goes to the funeral, she comes home. She starts thinking about it. She's like, nah, nah. Well, what harm would it be to look? She decides to go up in the attic and look, and there's a suitcase sitting there filled with money. She just shakes her head. She says, I knew it. I knew he should have put that in the basement. I just knew it. <laughs> You're not taking it with you. It doesn't matter. You're not taking it with you when you die. That's what this whole story did. This greedy man, in this story, he did not understand that there was something more important. And then Jesus gives the real message of this parable. Here's what he says. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? And then he like doubles down. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And in Matthew, Jesus said this, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus would go on to say, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he'll give you everything you need. Can I just tell you this? Jesus is the answer. Whatever your question is, Jesus is the answer. And just like in this parable, Jesus said, look, we have to guard against certain things because they will creep in and take our focus away. But we need to prioritize Jesus. At the end of your life, what only thing that will matter is Jesus. Money cannot buy happiness. Stuff cannot buy happiness. If you don't believe me, just look at all the celebrities who are ultra famous, ultra wealthy, and yet they're living miserable lives. 
because they're missing the main thing. And I just don't want anybody to walk out of here doing that same thing. So I'd like to pray and give you an opportunity to maybe just, maybe you just need to recalibrate. Maybe, you, maybe you're just here today and I'd like you need to recalibrate. So let's, let's pray together if you would. Father God, you are an amazing God and you give us scripture that teaches us, it leads us, and it also warns us. And God, I'm praying for the people in this room, people in Ashland, people who may be watching online who've, maybe they've never stepped over the line of faith. They've been putting their trust in other things or they've been looking for fulfillment in something else other than Jesus. And they're measuring incorrectly. And God, you love them enough to just say, whoa, beware, beware. Don't go down that road. It's, it's, you you got to measure twice and cut once. You only get one shot at life. you got to get it right. So, Lord, in this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit is working and touching hearts. And maybe you're here today and you realize that's you. You're, you're the person in the story and your own version of that. And you haven't been measuring correctly, but you want to make that right today. And you're thinking, man, I need to recalibrate. I need to, I need to change it when I can. So if you'd like to maybe place your faith in Jesus Christ today and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to give my entire life over to Jesus. And I'm not going to chase that other stuff. I'm not going to put that as my number one pursuit. If you'd like to do that, maybe just offer a prayer like this. Jesus, right here, right now. I'm placing my faith in you. I believe you died on that cross for me in my place. And as you rose again three days later, and I want you as my Lord, my Savior, and my number one passion and pursuit. And I'm going to follow you from this day forward. God, for those in the room, maybe you're watching that have already made that decision somewhere in the past, but we've just kind of, we've kind of shifted a little bit in our thinking and we've, we've, we've started to pursue the wrong things. I pray God that you would help us to see that you are still the only thing that brings hope, fulfillment, and peace in this world. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us online today. If you felt led to take any next steps throughout this message, we would love to connect with you. You can best do that at betterlife.church slash next steps. If you would like to stay connected with us, um, you can download our app on any major platforms. And lastly, if you feel led to give and support the ongoing ministry of Better Life Church, you can do so at betterlife.church give. Thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next week.